So just a little time to come back to outward consciousness. And to our theme, unified consciousness, you must first be restored to yourself. So you must first be restored to yourself is a quote from St. Augustine in the fourth century. I'll say a little more about him later on. But going back to our basic theme, unified consciousness, I think in the first um, session, I said that those two words have got an awful lot of meaning packed into them. <laughs> um, so I'll have a little go at unpacking them to remind us of what it might be about. Unified consciousness. Everything is one. Everything belongs to everything else. Everything belongs together. Everything arises from the same source, the same center, the same energy source, the same divine source from God. Many ways to speak about this, that. The same creative energy flows in everything there is. That creative energy, which is dynamic and life-sustaining in everything there is. Everything exists with respect to everything else. Nothing exists in isolation as an isolated unit among others or next to another. There's more to it than that. And if all of that's true, you cannot find fulfillment on your own. We need each other. We are part of each other. We live in each other's lives. We all resonate on the same divine frequency. And we are never going to be content until we find that resonance in ourselves and between ourselves and begin to realize it's the same resonance. The Bible puts it this way, kingdom of God is within us and among us. Not one, not the other, not one, not two, but both within us and among us. And if we think we've found it within us, but not among us, then we haven't really found it. If we think we've found it among us, but not within us, we haven't really found it. We just think we have. because we're not talking about ideas, we're talking about something that's real. That is the depth of reality. It makes a difference. 
if it's true. If it's true, it makes a difference. And if we come to know, which means to experience that truth, to live into that truth and out of it, that truth, it makes a difference to us and to everything else. You might call it love. And if all of that's true, then we as human beings need a practice that teaches us how to become resonant, how to become ever more resonant, ever more in harmony with that divine frequency in us, so that more and more we begin to notice that frequency that we share with everything else that is. We need a practice that begins to break down our self-centered isolation and our loneliness and begin to make us one. Help us fall in love again. And that's of course supremely the work of meditation. In meditation, every time we sit down, we take our attention off ourselves. We leave behind for a while everything that we could possibly think of as ours, mine alone, my thoughts, as distinct from yours, my feelings, my images, my fears, my desires, my wants, my regrets, my fantasies, anything that I can put that word in front of. I take my attention off it the best as best I can. And it has to be right, doesn't it, that attempt to lay aside everything that we can put the word my against. Because the my part is just not enough. I'm part of something bigger. It's too little. I'm too little. My thoughts are too small. My world is too small. We have to learn to entrust ourselves to something greater than us. To our little islands of thought and feeling and fear and fantasy our limited notions of love, our limited capacity to love. We have to learn to entrust ourselves to something that extends beyond all of that, beyond our own little selves and our limitations. And if we begin to be able to persevere with that, daily practice quite soon or maybe not quite some time but at some point a surprise awaits us something happens that we just didn't expect and I think what happens is universally surprising 
we are surprised to discover that we begin to know ourselves better. We're surprised to find some things getting clearer, some pieces of the jigsaw of our life falling into, into place in a quite new and surprising way. We'd never imagined that. They fall into place in a, a really true way somehow, a really reassuring way. It just makes sense the way nothing's ever made sense before. Gradually, we begin to understand ourselves. We, we get sort of real and down to earth about ourselves. And it always feels as though we are changing, but in that changing, paradoxically, we are becoming more ourselves. And we don't expect that either. That's another surprise. It's as though the more we sit to meditate and learn to take the attention off ourselves, lose ourselves, give ourselves away, stop worrying about ourselves, trust the higher power in us. The more we do that, the more we become able to live with ourselves as we are in a new way, to accept ourselves as we are, whatever we or other people think of us at the moment. We begin to feel more comfortable in our own skin. We begin to realize that we do have our own unique value and our own unique meaning. We begin to feel at home. If you were along for the first session, you remember we were thinking about unified consciousness as a home, a real home that we can make our way to homecoming and in that home we discover we're not on our own home isn't an isolated lonely place with just us in it well the saint augustine whose quote i used as the subtitle for this session he was um, a bishop and theologian in North Africa in the fourth century, about the same time as the desert fathers and mothers were going off to the deserts. St. Augustine was um, in the church. And um, he wrote a lot. Perhaps his most well-known book is a little book called The Confessions of St. Augustine. And they're not confessions in the sense of going to confession. It's really a, a sort of spiritual autobiography, a very early spiritual autobiography, where he's reflecting on his life in a very frank, open and honest way. The, the way he's, his life got screwed up early on, a pretty normal story, really. <laughs> um, and how he struggled to find his way through and then 
he found God, a real God, and what difference that made to his life in his lived experience and how he came to understand that. So when he's writing theology, we can be absolutely sure that he's not just speculating about ideas. He's reflecting something of what he knows from his own experience. So out of his experience and his reflection on that, St. Augustine is absolutely clear that you can't get to know God without getting to know yourself. And if you claim that you do, actually, you're fooling yourself because you haven't really got started at all. You might know about God, but that's not at all the same as knowing God, knowing God in your lived experience. That knowing that always goes alongside loving. Never really know someone until you start to love them. You become vulnerable to each other. You reveal yourselves to each other. And really, if it's true that you and God are not separate, it makes sense that you can't know God without knowing yourself, because you're not separate. It's the same knowing going on. It's like two sides of a coin. There's what we call the heads, the head side, it's got the queen on, in, on an English coin, and the tail side, which has got something else on. <laughs> I don't know what you call it, we call it heads or tails, one side or the other. But the heads and the tails, we can distinguish them from each other, but actually they're both part of the coin. They're not separate. It's a coin, it has two sides. <laughs> so they're distinguishable, but not separate. So knowing yourself and knowing God, Augustine says, are inseparable. We can distinguish them, but you can't separate. They're part of each other. John Main puts it like this. Self-knowledge leads us inevitably to the knowledge of God. All that is needed is honesty, integrity. Honesty to know ourselves. Power of integrity, the wholeness which self-knowledge brings to complete the journey beyond ourselves. Meditation is the journey into the otherness of the other. Divine integrity can only be encountered through the portal of our own integrity. Then he um, says something which I think is worth repeating here. This is important to state because religion can so easily avoid honesty and dispel wholeness. We can be so busy with rituals, creeds, religious claims of priority, external observance, enforcing conformity rights, that we forget 
that first step into honesty and integrity. And like Augustine, he says, that's the first step. Don't get anywhere worth getting without that first step. And when that self-knowledge begins to grow, then things are really beginning to get going. So this is um, Paul's quote from St. Augustine. It's in rather an old fashioned translation, I fear, but I couldn't find a better one. So he said, man must first be restored to himself, that making in himself, as it were, a stepping stone, he may rise thence and be born up to God. But he makes it sound as though it's first one step and then the next, being restored to yourself. And then with that as sort of stepping stone, keeping on going up to God. I don't think he's trying to imply that you really do the whole of one thing and then get the whole of the rest. <laughs> um, I don't think that's the point he's making. He's not trying to talk about a pattern of a journey home. He's really just trying to make that point. That self-knowledge is the first step that we first have to be restored to ourselves. That word restored, being brought back, back where you belong. If you came to this first session, was it, where you looked at the story of the prodigal son, son and the younger son being restored with joy to his home and family. You remember he'd been away from home, looking for something better, wandering around, trying to find it, but ending up in a deep and serious mess. Trapped in a deep and serious mess, he just didn't know how to get out of. Isolated, friendless, unloved, without meaning, without hope, and utterly miserable. So if we need to be restored, Augustine implies we start in a similar state, wandering, wandering about far from home, trying to find the way, trying to work out how to make life come right. It's such an urgent question, isn't it? How can we make life come right for us? And when we're wandering around, trying to find an answer to that serious question. It's as though, isn't it, the grass is always greener somewhere else. Other people's lives look better than mine. And I think, if only I had their life, their money, their family, their friends. their personal history, their jobs. If only I was like them instead of me. If only I had their personality instead of mine or a bit of what they have 
or a bit of what they are, that would work, or at least it would be better. So we can't help try and be someone else. We can't help try and change things, change ourselves, change who we are, where we live, where we work, who we live with. And we may well need to do those things. But while we're wandering around, it never seems to get to the root of the problem. Because the truth is that the root of the problem is in us. I remember once changing job. It was a, you know, a time for a promotion. And I remember thinking that some of the problems I had in the job that I'd got then if I went to a new job, they'd all disappear. <laughs> and to start with, they did. And then similar problems began to re-emerge. And I realized the problem must be me. I'd taken myself with me. You always take yourself with you. There's nothing else to take except yourself. You see, we have first to be restored to ourselves. This is um, a quote from a French priest writing, I think in the 1950s, um, a Roman Catholic priest who, forget the name of the book he wrote, but it was like a breath of fresh air. He really had blown the dust off um, where the church had become in France. He said this, many people today look for silence, solitude and peace. They dream of places where they can rest away from the daily hassles of living which tear them apart, exhaust them and leave them dissatisfied, wounded, bleeding and always alone but they won't necessarily find peace waiting for them in other places. There is a place within them where quiet reigns, the center, our heart of hearts. There, we can find him who is the plenitude of silence. Who will guide us there? We must find the way. Well, of course, there's more than one way. But I know I've found the way for me. And that word restored also makes me think of restoring a painting or restoring a building. You know, it's to do with taking off all the layers of dirt that have accumulated over the years all the previous attempts to restore it, which haven't lasted or weren't too good. It's a bit like trying to bring it back to its original glory, the way the painting was when it was first painted or the building was when it was first built. And there is something of that in this journey home, getting rid of layers of grime. All the great writers on the spiritual journey describe a process of 
purification, they give it different names, a sort of clean-up job which needs to be done. I mean, we definitely need to learn to restrain some of our least worthy habits and reactions, don't we? We definitely need to learn different, more loving responses to situations and people, that's all true. But it isn't really ever a process of getting back to anything, I think. I think it's always a forward movement into something new, something more. It's not quite that we are restored to our old nature, our previous nature, one we had before, but somehow lost. I think it's more that we're restored to our essential nature, a nature which we've actually never quite known before. Though strangely, we somehow recognize it as it's born in us. Maybe that's why St. Paul calls this becoming a new creation in Christ, this sense of something new that we haven't had before, but that we still somehow recognize as us. So it feels as though we're changing. We're no longer stuck. We're moving forward. So I find I'm able to tell a new story about myself, a different story about my past, a story which surprises me. I'd never thought of it like that before. Maybe I used to think that my problems it would be solved if I could change into someone else. But now I find, yes, I am changing, no doubt about that, but strangely becoming more myself. And as time goes on, I don't want to be anyone but myself. I just know that this me is who I am meant to be, who I was created to be, whatever I or others may think of myself. And that it is only this me that can find the way home. I used to think I needed to move to somewhere else to find somewhere I could call home. But increasingly I sense that just won't be the answer because somehow or other, I'm finding home in myself where I am now. But Augustine, of course, doesn't say you have to restore yourself to yourself. He says you have to be restored to yourself. But who's doing the restoring? It's quite um, a fashion in a way, isn't there, for reinventing yourself. Lots of people talk about reinventing themselves as though they sort of got fed up with the old one and decided to have a new one. I remember when Madonna was awfully keen on reinventing herself and everyone seemed to think that this was an awfully good thing to do. <laughs> and I 
I rather didn't and had to be a bit careful about who I said it to, because it seemed to me that if you had to be constantly reinventing yourself, you were never content. And I didn't want to be never content. <laughs> and there are lots of buzzwords, aren't there, about loving yourself and self-care and getting me time and so on and so forth. And it's not that there isn't some truth in those things, but there's all the difference, it seems to me, in you trying to do those things when it's an ego, an ego-centered motivation and being open to that being given to you in grace. Out of a non-self-centered motivation because it takes you somewhere different. It takes you beyond yourself, where you discover you're not in isolation. You discover an other-centered you, which is so much bigger and more wonderful. So last week we did a little lexio on that um, image in John 15 of the true vine. And I think that's a very good place to come back to. Who's doing the restoring? <laughs> so the image in the true vine was of Jesus as the vine, and us being the branches, and the father being the vine grower, the vine dresser. And Jesus says, abide in me. Abide in the vine. Abide in my love. That's where we have to be. The vine and the branches, it's the same as the coin. We can distinguish the vine from the branches, but actually they're all the same thing. They're not separate. It's not one, it's not two. The same sap is arising from the roots through the stem into the branches. The life-giving sap. That's where the life is. That's where the energy is. That's where the restoring comes from. Being part of that flowing sap. That's how we come home. By learning to stay connected. Staying in the flow. Most Eckhart, the great 14th century mystic, back to the homecoming theme, says, God is at home, meaning God is at home in us. We are at home in the vine, but the vine's at home in us. God is at home, it's we who've gone for a walk. So we just have to keep learning to walk back when we realize we've wandered off again, which of course we always do. And to me, I always think that's a marvellous uh, metaphor for meditation as well, because in a period of meditation, I frequently feel as though I spent most of my time having gone off for a walk, but at least I know how to keep on coming back, <laughs> keep the, step, the sap still, still flowing enough to mix the metaphors. We started with meditation and we ended with it, which always seems very good, doesn't it?
So we'll have a little Lexio Divina <clears throat> again. Once um, I returned to the faith of my childhood when I was about, um, how old would I have been? About uh, 40, 41, 40. I, I'd, I'd wandered off for many years and I came back. And quite early on, I remember hearing a sermon <clears throat> from a spiritual writer in this country. And um, she said, um, I'm going to give this sermon, but if you hear two things that matter, I'll be really pleased. <laughs> there may be 10 minutes of words, but if you hear two things or one thing that matters, then that's great. So, if out of all of that, ooh, half an hour's worth of words, there was one thing that made a difference, well, I'll be pleased. <laughs> um, it'll have seemed worthwhile. Um, maybe all the words aren't just to allow us to find a focus of attention so the spirit can get in. And the same with Lexio but there won't be so many words. So we'll be able to focus even more finely. <laughs> but I think it's the same thing. If there's one thing among those words that means something to you, that's all you need. So as previously, I'll read uh, a few sentences from Ephesians. You may well be familiar with them. Um, and if you are, then, you know, with a piece of scripture that you're really familiar with, you, you do sort of have to decide um, to set aside everything you've thought about it before. <laughs> Not easy, because it needs to surprise us a bit. And that's often quite difficult with something we think we know already. In order to stay open to it, really. So I'll read it five times quite slowly and um, then leave a little time for you to see what's happened. And then I'll ask Sarah to break us into, I think, two, two breakout groups. And in the breakout groups, as previously, uh, not a time for discussion, but just a time for you to say what struck you um, briefly. I have about maybe eight to 10 minutes um, and just listen. The listening to others always brings something more to us. The speaking what we've what's come to us gives us something more and gives other people something more too. The spirits, the same spirit at work in us and among us, between us. We're not separate, distinct, but we're not separate. Not one, not two. Um, and then we'll come back together and just, just close with the closing prayer. So this is from Ephesians chapter 4, 
Uh, a lot of people in the meditation community know this reading, partly because it's absolutely amazing. It's really one of Paul's most profound insights, I think. And uh, I think Father John's favorite bit of scripture, so we hear it a lot. <laughs> so we're just going to have part of it. <clears throat> I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be glory. And again, I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be glory. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. To him be glory. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. To him be glory.
and for the last time, I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. To him be glory.